Mac Football Pod. Caleb, first pod of 2022. Happy New Year to you, man. Did you make any resolutions? Uh, mine are pretty simple. It was um, follow through on one that I didn't do last year, and that was listen to an album a day for every day in the year. Oh, uh, that's a fun one. Yeah. Not like a single one every day, but just average it out one a day. Um, didn't come close last year. Last year, I listened to, like, I think, like 135 albums or so. Oh. Um, but I did uh, create year-end album and singles, top songs and albums lists again, just like I did the last two years. Uh, Do you need me to be, like, then, a listening buddy for you? Sorry to interrupt, but, like, you know how, like, oh, I want to get in shape. I need to go to the gym. You can be my lifting buddy. Do you need me to be your listening buddy? I, don't, I mean, do you think you're going to listen to 365 albums? I can. I mean, I can help out and <laughs> listen to 200. That's like two-thirds of the year. You say that. That means you're going to spend some Saturdays and Sundays having to listen to like five or six albums. <laughs> oh, no. What am I going to listen to on my way to work? You can't always listen to a full album. Anyway, uh, if I have to be like, oh, I have to listen to this album, I'm going to send it your way. Like, oh, I got to listen to the new, oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, your your, 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 your mouth is mumbling because you're drinking too much milk, which is Jim the Harbaugh juice. Malk, uh, which I hope you... Album. I hope you poured out a glass of that Jim Harbaugh juice uh, this morning before you recorded because of uh, because of the playoff. I do want to talk about the playoff a little bit. I don't want to do it right now. I really only want to talk about it because, obviously, it's a Mac football show. There was a G5 team in the four-team playoff. Got to talk about that a little bit because it's important. But, uh, Caleb, yes, I will listen to music with you. Yes, I am curious about what albums were on your... Uh, top 40 or whatever the hell list you published on your medium account the other day didn't get to read that yet i will get to around to it later Uh, i will ask you really quickly what is an album that's on your list just an album um i guess one might that would actually interest people was you think oh man you do you listen you listed 40 just list one I know, but I, I got to choose the right one. No, you don't. No, you don't. Don't know. No, whatever you say <laughs> is the right one. You already put out the right list. Just put out one of them, and then people will say, oh, I wonder what would have been a better thing that he could have said right now, and I'll check out okay, okay, fine. your blog later. Uh, the Killers came out with their best album in a long-ass time. It's called Pressure Machine. Really Pressure good album. Machine. It's like it's it's like about uh, Brandon Flowers growing up in Utah, essentially. And just like the problems that people face in rural, rural Great Plains and whatnot. So, or out there, if that's not Great Plains, but whatever, you know. Um, yeah, dude knows how to write some pop songs, pop rock songs. Very interesting. I listened to them when they put out the one album in like 2018. 2018 it was. Wasn't right? good. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked it at the time, but I liked anything because I was in Indiana. So, like, my level for like enjoying life was like give me a shit platter and i'll eat it yeah 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 speaking of enjoying shit platters we have these bowl games that mac teams actually enjoyed because unless if you're like so good there you can go to the rose bowl you can skip out on them kids are like oh at that level the kids are into video games but if you're in the mac kids aren't into video games and will actually participate in their bowl games because that's how things work but anyways (laughs) wyoming blew the shit out of kent state 52 to 38 i don't really have much to say there i also don't have much to say about miami's slight win over north texas 27-14. 27-14. Good for them. Georgia State blew out Ball State 51-20 on Christmas Day. Wasn't watching any of that for obvious reasons. Uh, two days after, 11 a.m., 
Western Michigan was playing Nevada. Nevada did not know who anybody was. Not only did they not know who their head coach was supposed to be or their quarterback, they also didn't know who was supposed to be on punt return, punt coverage, uh, second st- second string defense, and who was on the injury cart list. Like the people that were in charge of like anything a month ago for Nevada, no one knew where anybody was supposed to be uh, when they rolled up into Detroit. That's not a place where you want to go and not know where all your things are supposed to be on your body. So, which is why Western Michigan bodied them fifty-two to twenty-four. Uh, oh. Central, Central, man, Central story to get to Washington State is pretty fun. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk too much about it because there's nothing more that we can present to it, other than the fact that uh, fuck you, Barstool, and yeah, Central you, Barstool. beat Washington State twenty-four to twenty-one. And uh, Lou Nichols punctuating the year with another fun game. Did he end up being the leading rusher in the country? Uh, I'll I'll check that out. I'll I'll look that up right now. Uh, Caleb, you filled in the time with something else of one of your takeaways from all these bowl games. For I mean, for as bad as the start was for the MAC, you know, Miami ends up getting a win. Western gets a dominant win, and Central is probably the the win that people will actually like look back and be like, oh, look, the MAC actually grabbed some good bowl wins this year. Uh, I think it's going to be easier to chalk up Western's victory and be like, oh, well, Nevada was in absolute shambles after losing their coach to a team within their conference, uh, Colorado state. But, uh, the fact that central kind of came out, put 14 on the board right away, looked good against a, the PAC 12, a PAC 12 team that everybody is now kind of more and more in agreement. The PAC 12 is not particularly great. Uh, so a better finish to bowl season than the start was, even if the NIU coastal game was pretty fun. And, yeah, I mean, not really a too disappointing of a performance. I think Kent State giving up a lot of points makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah, Wyoming's Eastern quarterback Michigan. went nuts, man. Like, four touchdowns rushed. Yeah, I mean, Wyoming's nuts. really good team. I, I was actually surprised they didn't do as well in the regular season as they ended up doing. And, they, you mm-hmm. know, they beat NIU early they on. Did, yeah. There were, t- there were times where Wyoming's offense just looked unstoppable. Obviously, you saw the quarterback do what he did. And, uh Overall, some pretty solid games. So don't really have much to complain about about bowl season. Besides, it's not like people stop caring for bowl games, but most of people's excitement for the team occurs in conference play for the MAC anyway and all that. So mm-hmm. at, at the end of it, it's just like any sugar on top is a few wins from bowl season. So yeah, I didn't Western get to- for finishing strong, I guess. Yeah, I didn't get to slash chose not to watch some of these bowl games, a lot of these bowl games, a lot of these bowl moments. Um, I do want to say something about just to put a little bow on Central Michigan, especially since they did win, watch, did beat Washington State uh, pretty convincingly, even though it was a three point win. It was still a very convincing win. Central has been, uh, you know, especially with Lou Nichols, uh, which we can confirm is the nation's leading rusher at 1,833 yards rush this year on Oh my God! Did he also a lot lead? of carries? A yeah. lot of carries. Yeah, he he led <laughs> by forty. He led it by forty. Three hundred and thirty-nine attempts. No one else has three hundred. Um, someone's at two ninety-nine though. And Central Michigan, I love the way that they play because they also do my favorite thing in all the fight scenes in all the movies, which is when somebody grabs a like a glass bottle from the bar, they break the top end. <laughs> And they hold on to just like, you know, the stem and then just the spiky part. Like, that's what Central does. And if Washington State was going to win, they were going to have to get a bloody shirt first. 
And they definitely got bloodied up, but Central won the really, really ugly game and ended up being. But it was a very good squash. Very, very enjoyable. Um, I love Lou Nichols. I really love Lou Nichols. That's all. That's really it. I, I love Lou Nichols. Uh, the game, the bowl games, the bowl games mattered. Doesn't don't listen to what the game day panel has to say. Uh, New Year's Day when nobody's watching in front of an empty Rose Bowl. That's not what game day is about, and it shouldn't have to be about these old guys talking about. Oh, uh, the kids these days don't love the sport the same way we do the same week that John Madden died. Like, oh my God, just the, that part makes my blood boil. Just that part alone makes my blood boil. When one of the best football people ever died about, and, and their whole legacy is about like how much they actually loved football, you know, right after he dies, game day has to go on and do like their old grandpa bit about how the kids don't love the game anymore about how they don't love it like they used to, about how the games don't matter like the like the way they used to for us. They'd rather be on their cell phones. They'd rather be doing TikToks. They'd rather be doing NIL endorsement deals, this, that, and the other, instead of playing all these bowl games that are company sponsors for the most part. How many bowl games did ESPN not sponsor this year? Two? And one of them got canceled? So I mean, we, we know that ESPN is not in it for the love of the game. Okay. Like we know people get into sports journalism for like the love of the game and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and sports media and all that. They enjoy it. They enjoy being around it. But ESPN as a whole, like you have to have some actual common sense and some like some mm-hmm. sense of awareness, like self-awareness because there's so very little self-awareness in, in a panel like that where, you know, you're being trotted around the country um, for the product for the actual product of, you know, talking about the top players and being the faces that do it. They don't just send everybody around because, you know, they know that those guys love it. Like they're probably willing to do it because they love it. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if you're guys like Reese Davis and Herb Street and Desmond Howard and all these guys, but you know, the ESPN doesn't do the show because they love football. Like let's, let's, let's be real here. Like, yeah, yeah, they're doing to. all this because they love the ratings, right? Like, they'll send out messages just as long... Like, they'll say things. They'll deliver a discourse just as long as there's also a message and an understanding involved with that. And so, at the end of all of this, right? Like, we can kind of, like, talk about, like, Kirk said this, Reese David says that, Desmond Howard agreed with Kirk this, you know. Uh, we can break all that down, right? And then at the end of the day, it's just going to leave, like, me and you talking about, do the players love it? Do the players not love it? You know, yes, no, maybe so. It doesn't really matter what we say because that's the discourse that they're telling us to have, right? And they're telling me and you to podcast it. They're telling Hustle Belt to blog about it. They're telling uh, Washington Post to write about it too, you know, and it's just going to create all this media mess. But what the message is, the message that they're trying to send to you, you know, it doesn't matter if like me and you agree on it. It doesn't matter if me and you think that the players should or shouldn't be into it. It doesn't matter if me and you think that the coaches shouldn't be like leaving for schools right away just like the players are trying to do the same thing here. It doesn't matter about any of that. What matters is that next Monday is the national championship game and that's the most important game of the year. That's what matters here. None of this none of all that other shit matters. It doesn't matter if Chris Olave was sitting at home or if he was playing at the Rose Bowl. What matters is that me, you and Chris Olave and the people at ESPN and the people that might tune into ESPN next week all understand 
that next week's Monday night football game is the most important game of the college football calendar year. So it doesn't matter if we like it or not. That's that's it. So please, and you will, and you must, tune in. That's really it. That's the messaging. That's the underneath. That's the undercurrent in all this. So take. So, you know, I think I think we were going to kind of get into this too as well. And, I mean, we can take this in any direction, really. You were making the point before we, before we hopped on the episode, essentially, that, hey, there are a lot of things we could be talking about. And you and I spent just, you know, some time talking about this nonsense. But there's a lot of things we could be talking about in terms of highlighting players that are up and coming, about players who are maybe primed for a big breakout performance, about some of the best bowl game performers uh, and who had the best, you know, sh- like spot in the limelight during the past couple of weeks. Um, obviously, the Rose Bowl in particular is the one that everybody's going to remember from this year. Mm-hmm. I think I think almost no matter what happens in the national championship game, I think more people are going to remember and that, and that, in some sense, speaks to the national championship game not always meaning as much anymore. Uh, when more people are probably likely to remember uh, what CJ Stroud and uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Jackson, Jackson and Jibba Smith, or something like that. Something Smith and uh, something Smith. I don't remember. Um, but I, I don't remember that so much as just remembering him tossing defenders left and right and, and just running free down the field in Utah's. Uh, secondary looking hapless and just remembering how much fun it felt. And that's what, honestly, Ohio State tends to do that every other bowl season, have a game like that. So, yeah. uh, and these games are more fun, right? And uh, there were other bowl games like that, of course. And but there's a, I mean, co- even Coastal and NIU was as, as fun as about anything that was on television for, for bowl season. So there's a lot to highlight. There's There, there really is. And, like, you, mean, you and I were talking before the show, and, like, a thing that it kind of boils down to for all of this is that we're tired of seeing the negative content on there. We'd rather see the positives in all this. We're talking about Chris Olave sitting out and bitching about that when you could be talking about, you know, Ohio State's, you know, fifth and sixth receivers. You know, all these bowl games, oh, they don't matter to the top-level top level elite, you know, elite programs. That's a top-level elite problem okay let's talk about the overwhelming majority of all these other bowl games and then maybe we can talk about how important it actually think things have actually been instead of allocating your time to like crossing your arms on a saturday morning in front of this empty bowl crowd that we just said instead of having your primetime talent do like oh i gotta do a primetime game the night before the night before that blah 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 catch all these planes be like half asleep as um Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Pointed out. Uh, Tim Burke pointed out on Twitter. You know, instead of allocating your time to like making the nation watch more Kirk Herbstreit and listen to what Kirk Herbstreit has to say with his buddies that we all know and love, maybe we should just spend more time going to, hey, uh, let's talk about these other players that, you know, Chris Olave's out. Sweet. But who are the guys that this bowl game means the world to? Why not? Why do we have to bitch about? players that are sitting out when we could be talking about how the Mac is making a big stink about the way a bowl game actually ended. And this mm-hmm. bowl game result means the absolute world to them, not just the team, not just those players, but to the freaking conference, that bowl result actually matters to that league, but you'd mm-hmm. rather just focus more time on the negative. The positive well, is right there in front of you. You don't even have to look too hard. If you just spend end. a minute doing that, you will have, Many, many more minutes and plus more hours of content to deal with. And that's what ESPN's in the game of. And they'd rather just, like, piss people off in doing this. You would do 
so much more of a service to the sport you actually profess to like do it for the love for and provide the coverage for the love for if you were highlighting these individual stories that they sometimes do in the previews for games, right? Where they'll be like, you know, this kid came from so-and-so place and um, overcame this and this. And they do that a lot in like, you know, their pregame coverage. And sometimes I think that gets lost in, in the coverage of what bigger media networks do is they don't get the credit sometimes for those types of personal stories. Um, sometimes those stories are, are piggybacking on things done first by local newspapers and smaller entities and whatnot. But uh, that type of coverage can be done more and maybe talked about more and more guys could be interviewed like in this type of programming, like what they do on the game day and stuff like that. So, I mean, game day mm -hmm. does a decent job from that sometimes, but you know, obviously a lot of the, the time is just them filling dead air and yeah. just talking. And I wonder how much of that is just, you know, because there's so, because there has, actually has to be resources driven into doing the extra reporting or like making the connections and doing the, uh, making the phone calls and actually putting in the work to develop the relationships they're going to be taken to uh, do these stories or make or put, the, put out these uh, these types of packages. But I mean, again, like you don't necessarily have to do even that. You could just bring on somebody who's smart to talk about an aspect of the teams that you want to talk about. You want to talk about how uh, you know how did Ohio's defense react after uh, their defensive coordinator gets fired in like week two and and how their defenses responded. How did they fail against Michigan? And then you talk more about that. Maybe you talk about a player who stepped up on Ohio State's defense in that time. Maybe you talk about literally anything else other than just the same topics you've been talking about because you think it's the only thing that drives a narrative. Do you think maybe more people might tune into your show if you're diversifying what is showing up on your screen and uh, highlighting individuals and people's personal stories as opposed to just looking at like a, a very – like. I guess not like a global perspective on everything in the college football landscape, just looking at everything. How does this affect the bottom line? How does this affect the broader college football landscape and this and this and this and that and that you can do that. There's always a place for it. There's always a place for that discussion, but why can't you localize these stories when there are thousands and thousands and thousands of stories to tell for the people in the college football universe that you will never ever run out of stories and you can't do and they don't do it. So more than anything, it, I'm less frustrated with like the fact that this is like that they chose to spend time on it so much as they choose to repeatedly spend time on things and then not tell these individual stories on programming like game like on like you know on like college football the morning shows and the game days and stuff like that. So maybe it, maybe it's just too hard to call up the sports information department at at so and so school and be like, hey, can you tell us a, a player who really deserves to be highlighted or. Like, tell us somebody who got to campus and you never thought would play and now has, like, a key role with your team. Let them talk. But I guess it's not, not – it must not be interesting enough that the sport that you love and you're here to highlight and you just have this burning passion for, it's not enough to tell those players' stories and to highlight them and maybe work on actually talk about the X's and the O's as opposed to why do college football players only think about themselves? Yeah, it's just like, really – it's really disheartening for, like – a media company or media outlet, media enterprise, media everything that circles its life around sports can't circle its life around athletes at the same time. Like it has to enjoy that the quality of sport has to be there just for us to present it. It doesn't matter if Chris Olave, you know, I, I keep leaning on Chris Olave. He's just the one player I have in mind. There's like millions of players to pick from. We could talk about Kenny Pickett. We could talk about Kenneth Walker. We could talk about uh, Kyron Williams. We could talk about so many players that just sat out their bowl games 
for whatever reason to like Carson Strong and the, the freaking quick lane both. See, there we go. That's that's a Maxion Tide one. It doesn't matter if those players are sitting out because their their personal reasons and their personal bank accounts hang in the balance in the future here. It doesn't matter because ESPN is on a deadline to present this game to everybody and they'd rather have the best players come hell or high water on the field. And we've already seen that. Like this like sitting out bowl games, that's fucking nothing new. Like Come hell or high water, you guys better be playing your football games in 2020 during the middle of a, a pandemic outbreak because people are home and they're bored. So, like, we've already seen this. Now we're just talking about the same thing in a different light, in a different way, because this isn't the first year we talked about opt-outs either. So, I just don't like that. I, 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 It really is sport over athlete. That part is disheartening because athletes are what make the sport. And I kind of want to go back to John Madden a little bit, you know, someone that we should be like glorifying, not Kirk Herbstreit, not Desmond Howard. Uh, Reese Davis is fine. He, Reese Davis, you're cool. I like you. Uh, David Pollock. Uh, Mostly fine. Reece I think David Pollock, <laughs> David Pollock might be in for a 2022 turnaround. Uh, TBD on that front. We'll find out later. Um, but right now, Kirk Herbstreit and Desmond Howard are kind of in the bottom two when it comes to that, you know, panel four. <clears throat> I was trying you to, know, John like, Madden, I, John Madden, the thing that made him so great and like, di- like died as the man that loved football more than anybody else on the planet Earth. Right. And the thing that he also loved was the people. And he would just go to some podunk town, look around and be like, man, these people that like are farmers, they're like working in like steel mills. They actually have like real world jobs like, man, they are taking this shit so seriously because it is serious real, real world stuff. And I'm over here taking football so seriously i'm just going to enjoy the sport to the you know the most that i can meanwhile all these other people i'm just going to love them as human beings because that's what makes them that that's what makes them part of this player's community and such such on and such forth and if you don't love the athlete for who they are as a player as an athlete as a person as a creator as an inventive you know as all these other things that their NIL agreements are saying, like, meet their interests off the field. You know, if you're not meeting them where they're at, then you're not actually appreciating them as athletes. Yeah, and I think we have to appreciate – I think I, I do appreciate the uh, the outpouring of love for Madden and then the types of personal anecdotes that came out in, in the aftermath of his death. And the, I, I watched the documentary. It was, it was actually pretty good. The one that have, they put out. Early. I have not yet. I thought it was it's cool when you got to watch. I thought it I mean, was cool it's just, to watch it a few days before he died. It, it's, it's early. It's an emotional week, you know, but I, I enjoyed it. To the point that I was trying to make to the, uh, the fact of people in the sport who can share that love and make people share on the love that Madden being one of those people, that's what we got to appreciate people like him and like Dick Vitale, like where if you don't have to like, even if you didn't like their personal style, Maybe you don't even like it. like Dick Vitale, just like his personality. Maybe you're just like, God, oh, man, that's enough. It's just too much for me. You have to appreciate the love he shares for the sport and how mm-hmm. he is willing to just shine a beacon of positive light on whoever it is he's talking about. Because for all that matter to him, all that matters in the world is the people playing basketball in front of him and the fans sharing in the love of the game and and being a part of the environment. It's not. It's not like he'll. I mean, yeah, sure. He's like, oh yeah, college basketball. It's the greatest, baby. Like. Like it can't be better than this, but because but he's he's absolutely. Uh, it just, has less. To, it has less to do with like the booms and the claps and all that shit that he says like on air, 
and less to, and more to do with how he treats people off the field. Like it, it always comes down to that. And like, it sounds stupid to say like, Oh, it's uh, you know, it's, there's more to life than football, and, but there really is. There really is. And like, we have to acknowledge that all the off field stuff matters to the on field stuff. It's all the same. It's all the same, you know? And like, you might relate to this. Like there are people that like, you might know personally, like, Oh, I, I like them, but I don't like working with them. You know, oh, they they seem like cool people, but working with them is a different, is a whole different ball game. When people have said that to me, I've always been like, no, they're the same person. Like, I, I probably wouldn't enjoy them outside of work either, because they're the same person that they come to work with. And and that's how I feel about football too. Uh, Caleb, do you have any ways to fix college football though? Because <laughs> like a lot of like their solutions to this. One, one that Reese Davis pointed out, and this isn't very original, it's that uh, essentially have the bowl games pay the kids and just let them be incentivized that way, which I think is just a gross way of just like the schools just, again, pushing more things off into the bowl games where like not only can the, are the bowl games the only ways that, not, I shouldn't say only, not only are the bowl games the ones that can pay you more, but uh, that's your incentive. We, we're not going to be the ones to incentivize you. Duke's Mayo will incentivize you. <laughs> Duke's Mayo and Sony will incentivize you. Vizio will incentivize you. Not, not me. Not Missouri University. Not not any of us. Uh, they also say like, we'll expand the playoff. Blah blah blah. I think my solution would just be like, get rid of the fucking draft. And ESPN realizes that they should, you know, if the draft were to like get rid of, and if football teams were able to just sign players what they're what they're actually valued out of college then they'd have to get rid of the draft show, which sucks. They don't want to be prepared for great analysis for armchair discussions every day because they're stuck with Kirk Herbstreet. They're not built for that. Well, I don't have the fix for college football, and I uh, we got to actually talk. If you if you've got to decide that something in particular is broken, so what which part's broken? Because I think there's a lot of issues, and I think there's a lot of you can always go on and on about what you have your issue with. Um, if, if what's broken is that players don't want to play because they are looking forward to their future and taking, like being super overly cautious, I mean, how do you, you don't really fix that. Do you, like you, you would have to change like the entire cultural mindset of an entire generation. Like, okay, is that your goal? Um, And you're going to. And you're going to do that by bitching and complaining about how selfish players are? Mm, doesn't look like a fix exactly so much as you just sounding like an old fuddy-duddy and probably sounding more and more like the old people you, you've probably made fun of for years and years. So uh, it's there's not a fix to people. I mean, we're, we've kind of just reached that point. Like it'll either change or it won't. I think, yes, having guaranteed money, whether it's from the schools or from the Bulls, would probably address it in some sort. But I don't think there's a fix to that. Mm-hmm. And it would probably come from, uh, if you hear random noises, my cat playing with a bottle cap. Yeah, I thought that uh, that's exactly what it was. So, I mean, you could ask, you could, you could look at companies being like, how profitable if we're the sponsor of this bowl? For this one player to play well how many games is that actually relevant to not a lot and not to every team that has a pro caliber athlete 
Mm-hmm. It might be to like a New Year's Six Bowl. Like, am I willing to pay this guy $500,000 to play in this game? But I don't think that's what I want to see, and I don't think that fixes anything. Right, yeah. It just it just seems like it creates another problem. Ohio State had several players who didn't play in the game, and you watched one of the greatest Rose Bowls in history. So what's broken exactly? It's a fair question. Uh, let me give you some fair math that we can close on. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet and the, uh, the rest of that retirement home over at game day, they were bitching about how there aren't, an, there's not enough buy-in from players across the board in college football, which uh, we do have to like take on some different perspectives as we talk about college football and its problems and its solutions going forward. Uh, we're going to adopt the role of good parents for a second, and we're going to adopt the role of being good mathematicians like, uh, like Caleb, you are. There are 32 teams and that have 53-man rosters. That is 1,696 players in the NFL at all times for 17, 18 weeks, right? College, 130 teams. That's not including this, including that's not including the James Madison and Jacksonville State. That's about to move up to the Sun Bowl pretty soon. 85 scholarship players. That's 11,000 players, 11,050 players to be exact. That's not including the walk-ons. And that's not including, you know, everybody else. So we're saying that 11,000 people, 11,000 kids perpetually have to have the NFL level buy-in, which is incredibly exclusive. I don't know. I don't know if if you looked at that, you know, 1,700, 11,000. Seems like 8,000 of you are going to just miss the cut barely. Um, Yeah. You know, the game day they're like oh the ki- the kids just don't have the same level of buy-in they're all interested in all this other shit uh with nil presented the way it is you better be into something else and if i'm being a good parent even if nil is not a thing even if we're talking about the year 2003 let's say you better be interested in other things because chances are you're not going to make that cut you should be lucky enough that you're actually at the college level to be honest with you so yeah do have some other interests man do have other interests kids because the NFL might not be it for you. And not not because we don't think you're good enough, but it's because 8,000 of you will miss the cut. And I'm talking about just the ones that are on scholarship at the FBS level. So, yeah, that's a way to fix college football. Uh, not have oh, as many sure. teams. Not have as many teams. Quit adding 140 teams. Don't, don't stop. Have, football playoff, eight, baby. have 80 FBS teams and your elite level players will shrink to only a pool of 80 teams. And I promise that'll fix whatever you think you're looking at. G5 football playoff. That's where the money is, baby. Uh, no money is what Cincinnati had against Alabama in the playoff. We don't have to talk too much about all these games. These two games. We do want to show that Cincinnati was a little bit of a no-show against Alabama, though. Uh, it sucked, and that's well, that's going to be a very lazy piece for people to lean on moving forward. Let me say that, for one, I don't think you even really have to argue it. Cincinnati still deserved to be there because they did what they were fucking supposed to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, second point, I, I feel very strongly about two things with Cincinnati in this game. Cincinnati's defense performed better against Alabama than pretty much any team in the country would have performed. Simultaneously, Cincinnati did not have a chance to win this game. Both, I think both things are true. 
Yeah, it because, has less to do with Cincinnati and more to do with Alabama versus everybody yeah. else. So that should so be Cincinnati, the real conversation. I was already kind of of the opinion that like the best the, the matchup to look at was going to be Cincinnati's Cincinnati's cornerbacks against. Uh, you know, what Bryce Young can figure out and how much separation Alabama's wide receivers are getting from those guys. Cincinnati's quarterbacks actually played pretty well. Uh, Cincinnati's cornerbacks cannot really control how Alabama runs the football. So you got what you got from that. Uh, Alabama didn't have to throw the ball down the field to move the football. They still only scored 27 points. Cincinnati stopped them, what, five or six times or so. And let's be, let's be honest, most of the SEC can't do that. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't really think there was anything like you can look at uh, Cincinnati and be like, wow, what a disappointing performance to get here and then put up a dud. It's like, do you really think Cincinnati's offense was ever really going to score more than, mm-hmm. I think the, I think the, the, the most they were capable of scoring against Alabama in any, in any set was probably like 24 points. Yeah. And then, then what happened later that night, Michigan, a arguably better built team, a better blue blood, blah, 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 lost to even more Ooh. to Georgia. So whatever. So if you're going to argue like, oh, you know, Michigan deserved it more. Look Cincinnati at that talent gap. Like, who look they, at that shit. Who they play? Look at that. I think Cincinnati, Michigan might have been the best possible matchup in the play in the in the semis. But yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's not much to say from that. I think we uh, we could say a little bit about the transfers. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, ben Bryant's oh. out. I don't really have. Ben Bryant's out. The Preston Hutchinson <laughs> thing, okay, I can deal with Preston Hutchinson being out because we still got Ben Bryant out. He's out. Yeah. So now Eastern is without its top two quarterbacks. Uh, Eastern's either got to get a quarterback or Austin Smith better be really freaking good or Barron's, Barron Mack, whatever. But uh, yikes. Yikes, not good. Uh, Dylan McDuffie's out at uh, at Buffalo, running back. He's got like two or three years left. Uh, pretty good running back. Really good running back. I like him a lot. Uh, I was... He, he was someone I tracked a little bit when he was in high school, uh, when he committed to Buffalo. And he's got NFL ties because family members and such. So he should be an exciting guy. I was excited for Buffalo to keep him, but that doesn't look to be the case. Doesn't look like they're keeping their quarterback either, Kyle Vantries. But honestly, with the new coaching staff... Over there, you know, we shouldn't ha- have been more impressed with like, oh, look at all these players staying because like, where else would they have gone late May? Because I think the jig, like the deal is up. Like, hey, we all just have to stick out twenty twenty one together. We'll all try our best, and if you guys want to transfer out afterwards, go for it. Um, at least that should probably have been the understanding, and it looks like that is the case so far. Um, yeah, I mean, more room for Molinguist to get the guys that he wants in his program, right? I don't know, man. With him, it's probably just, I mean, it's just a coaching thing, right? Like, you come into a system, and this is what you expect, and like, oh, the, the expectations change, so I'm ready to move on and try something fresh, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, who isn't hitting the transfer portal these days? Who cares? Uh, Ben's pull it, kinda... it only took him two days to go from Buffalo to Missouri, so uh, I think with with that... And the other transfers that we have to keep in mind from last year, that's a bunch of players, especially at the offensive line group um, that were championship bound and whatnot, to hit the transfer mm-hmm. portal and go to, like, Big 12 SEC stages. Like, good job, Lance. 
good job. That that's that's incredible. That that's just that's just a job well done on the Buffalo staff that uh that was there before and a little bit of what's there right now. Uh the Jay Ducker story is probably biggest, right? Yeah. It's because it, it makes people ask questions like you don't even it's like, well, you could either let this go by and not really have anything to say about it and mm-hmm. where were where were, where it, were it's, we at? Last it's interesting. Time? Where were we at last time we talked about it? It isn't it's it's interesting. The uh because Ducker basically said like there wasn't trust between me and my coaches, my coaches and I, um, NIU and Hammock, they're toting, you know, they're toting. They're like, we wish him well, and or during the season they were saying like everybody's getting their ample opportunities. You're going to earn what you get. Like Ducker performed when he was supposed to, and so he kept getting the opportunities. And now that Ducker's out, he's basically just like, he doesn't. It's weird because he's like he's not saying like, I don't like those guys or I I don't I don't I don't. Uh, like, you know, I hated my experience there. He just basically is just like, there isn't trust. And I'm not going to move forward if there isn't trust. Um, and usually you don't get that specific of reasoning so quickly from players who enter the transfer portal. That's, they're usually either mum on the issue or they're just like, you know, I'm excited to play at my new school, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm thankful for my opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I'm ready players to are only learning how to speak out for the first time, though. Like, just because, like, the transfer portal opened up a handful of years ago, it doesn't mean like players know how to speak out the way that they probably should have always been. Uh, thankfully, like the kids that are coming into college football these days are smarter than uh, than what's graduated before. And I will always think, sit on uh, that. I think relative to what you just said, like it's funny that like Hawaii is going through what they're going through with Top Grantham, uh, because he is very much reviled by like so many of his players, and so obvious. And you're going to see more of that in the future. We've already begun to see that type of stuff just with, within the last couple of years. Like, I mean, shit, his son transferred. <laughs> like, how much, how bad is it there? Um, so for, like, Hammock, like, you know, they had the, the transfer issues the first few years as they resettled, as they settled their culture. Mm-hmm. And this year they're losing, uh, they're not really, there was, like, no transfer portal guys hardly, I think, during the regular season. Right, yeah, through like, up until the bowl game. Which was like obviously a very good sign for where that program's headed. And, yeah, I, I think that's uh, good. Yeah, take it for what it's worth. Yeah, they're they're, they're a my championship team. Like, of course, they're in the right direction. But uh, so Ducker leaving, it doesn't really affect them that much. It's more just like the the discourse coming out of that that prompted the discussion. And then Dylan mm-hmm. Thomas is leaving. He's been there for like five and a half years. Yeah, uh, and he and he was all like, "It's all love. I love my time right. here. I just wanted." I mean, to you, you know, see my takeaway whenever whenever a grad transfer orders enters a transfer portal, you know, my response is always, "Well, he graduated. <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck do I care? <laughs> he did. He, like did for you. he did what he was supposed just, to. Yeah, I mean, he just he's going to go and see what else is out there. Like for him, it's, it really doesn't make a difference. When guys are grad transfer dudes, it's like you either love the experience so much you couldn't see yourself anywhere else, or you go in the portal and you're like, well, I want to see what opportunities are out there because honestly, that's a good way of looking at things. So you don't have to stay just because you've been there. Yeah. You graduated. You got your degree. Yeah. You're young. Go travel. Uh, so trust isn't there between Jay Ducker and the NIU coaching staff. Uh, that was like the first thing that was said out of like Nebraska preps or something like that a few weeks ago. And then we just saw world Herald and stuff. The world Herald was reporting on it. Yeah. Yeah. We just saw, uh, another report pretty recently uh, a little bit more about like what exactly that trust meant. And what happened was that, you know, Jay Ducker was not getting the playing time early on. 
I mean, Whaley Harrison's pretty freaking good at this thing. Harrison Whaley. Um, he's pretty good at running back. And then when he went down, that's when Jay Ducker started playing. Coach Hammock's explanation to the media was that Jay Ducker wasn't getting the early playing time and he was kind of like slipping out of the two deeps because, you know, he just wasn't practicing hard, this, that, and the other. Uh, in Jay Ducker's eyes, that's not actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, I don't know if you were trying to say that to motivate me, man. I don't know if you were just, I don't know what your reasoning is. He knows. He knows. I don't know. I'm speaking for him. Uh, I don't know what your reasoning here is, but like, you don't have to say what it isn't to the media like that. So it, I think it has less to do with what NIU's thought of Jay Ducker on the depth chart will be in 2022 and has more to do with what are the, what kind of people am I dealing with? that talk about me when I'm not in the room about my kind of playing time and that get to control my narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what it has more to do with. It has less to do with the future and more to do with w- what's actually happening yeah. in the present. Yeah. And, and when you say, and you, and you, to that point too, it's not just hammock, right? He says he's like his running back coach, uh, McKissick Jones. He, he, he doesn't name him, but he says like my position coach is going to be important to me. So that leads me to believe that like, just like, there was just an uneasiness there. Or yeah, like Nebraska. Dis- like he's looking at Nebraska, but Nebraska, which is where he's from, the state of Nebraska. But Nebraska doesn't have a running backs coach right now. And I mean, he's only got an offer from Memphis, which mm-hmm. is a damn good place to have an offer as a running back, uh, given the types of players they've produced in recent years. So uh, if he ends up there, I mean, that's probably still good for him. He might not even be the number one guy, but maybe he does. Maybe what he's looking for isn't the touches. Maybe it's not being the guy maybe he's just like i want to perform the best of my abilities and i want my coaches to have my back and uh you know i don't know i don't know what it looks like in that running back room you know that uh the nau coaching staff will def will play players against each other and be like we want the competition we want uh we want guys to bring out the best in each other we don't want to make excuses uh work harder what's what's the thing they say uh no one cares work harder right um so in some sense i think and alex they're having this conversation about some of it's some of it might be a little bit of bluster from the NIU coaches. Where do they always do what they preach, or is some of it a little BS as well? Maybe mm-hmm. they're consistently on message. I'll give them credit for that. Yeah. So when guys buy, it's obvious that guys buy into it, and it works. It might. It has its. Uh, it has its. Obviously, if it, if this is where things are sometimes with them, maybe this is a, a problem they run into with some players that some guys feel misled or they don't feel respected. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't, it's, it's hard to assume that you know anything that's going on there because you're not there. Right. Uh, but it, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely one of the most interesting to me transfer scenarios that, the, that has, that has been, that the Mac team's been involved in in recent years. So, uh, and obviously to me, it's just a little more interesting just because I was on the beat before and, just kind of like examining where the dynamics of that might have been. So yeah, there's there's a lot to think about it. And ultimately it might not even be anywhere near as complicated as the, the amount of things we're talking about. It might even be like he heard said some one thing was said about Ducker, Ducker didn't like it. He's like, you know what, fuck it, I'm not. Oh. Uh speaking of things to think about, one last player that we have to mention, and then we will skedaddle out of here. Uh, you threw this into the notes last minute, I see. So we're going to uh, make this audible happen for you. Justin Hall, 
the guy that made every audible run. I mean, we could just audible out of one Justin Hall play into another, and it would look totally different than what we drew up heading out of the huddle. And Justin Hall is the guy that would always make it happen to Ball State. Um, he did declare for the draft. I mean, I don't think he had any eligibility left, so I don't, I don't right. really care. But I digress. Uh, Justin Hall has continually been uh, one of our favorites to watch, to talk about, and he's absolutely been one of the most like impressive players to watch. Not because like he always just like popped off on the scoreboard, this and the other. Yes, he does have like NCAA records. Yes, he does have the most catches in FES uh, history uh, for a single career. Yes, he's got the streak. Like he's caught a he's caught a fucking pass in every game, every game, every game. <laughs> he's done it. I don't even exercise every morning. I don't brush my teeth every day. I do. I do brush my teeth every day. But Justin Hall has caught a pass in every game. Uh, Justin Hall has, I don't know, almost took a handoff in every game at least. Uh, I can go on and on. But, Caleb, you drew this in here. I want you to go on with Justin Hall and your salute to him. Yeah. The, the thing that makes Justin Hall special in terms of his place in Mac history, like he obviously has a place in cultural history for being – uh, up there among all-time receptions leaders, right? So, and then in terms of having a catch in every game. But, again, credit to, like, Chris Benini, who points out something that you maybe don't notice because he follows the Mac so closely and kind of looks at, a, at, at it from a broader perspective. Justin Hall is a five-time All-Mac player. There, <laughs> it's so funny to think that they're like, – like we, we, I think we, I remember talking about, like, when the players got their extra year of eligibility – that you're going to have these little weird little asterisks after things. And you're going to talk about it like, well, oh, wasn't that during COVID? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that doesn't take away from what he did. It's, it, is, it is funny to me that he is a five-time on my player. Uh, but that in particular speaks to his, sustain, his sustained level of production, commitment to the program, sticking in the same place uh, and performing no matter who was throwing him the ball and who his teammates were, going through – almost the lows of the lows with what where they were at all the way to winning a Mac championship, always having more than 600 receiving yards in the season, even in the shortened season, always being a running threat, always being a guy they can throw out there and make a play whenever they needed it. So Justin Hall is one of the more impressive players that's ever come to the Mac. And he did it without being the guy who hauled in 15 touchdown catches in a year and had 1800 receiving yards. He did it without having the most like, I mean, he, he didn't have like the, the jaw dropping reception on sports center every other week. He was just the, the guy man. you he always relied man. on. Like I'm, I'm sticking to that nickname. He was the iron man. And like, he did like, he was a receiver. He was a rusher. He was a kick returner. He was a punt returner. He was like your best friend. He walked your neighbor's dog. Like this he guy, was that dude. He was that, dude. that guy. Oh, pal. and he can't pass. <laughs> he is that guy, pal. Justin Hall's that guy, pal. You know, reading it off of you, you who reading it off of Yahoo Hall broke the ball state record after uh, for career all purpose yards of 5,359 and career receiving yards of 3,385. Also tied the NCAA record for most consecutive games catching a pass with 54. What a guy! Yeah, I don't care if he sat out that bowl game, it wouldn't have mattered. No one was gonna watch that shit, doesn't matter. Oh, final, final alert, uh, as we are near closing our podcast, if we're talking about Justin Hall will soon be an NFL receiver on some roster, even if it's 
you know, training camp and trying to find a spot. Jarrett Patterson, our buddy pal, found the end zone today. <laughs> today? Really? Yeah. <laughs> this is second. This is number two, right? Because he, he, uh, his first one came against Philadelphia. See, this is this is another part of being a fun part about being a Mac fan is like you just relish like anything that happens from a, a Mac. His second career rushing touchdown in week fourteen, <laughs> week fifteen, whatever the fuck this is, week sixteen. I don't know. And I like it like that. And boom goes the dynamite. <laughs>